0: So today, we're actually in a final warning passage from the book of Hebrews in the section we're studying. Uh, as we've worked through the book of Hebrews, uh, we've seen that there are a number of different times that the preacher is warning the congregation. Remember, this was first a preached sermon. We can tell that by the, by the nature of the, the Greek language here in the book. So the preacher first came uh, with this as a sermon to a congregation. It was later recorded and then passed around in, in the churches in, in the book of Hebrews. Um, But we recognize that oftentimes throughout this book we've come to these passages that are warning passages uh, where the preacher is bringing a, a fairly heavy word to his audience speaking to them about how it's dangerous to go back from Christ and how necessary it is to keep persevering in the way of Christ. Um, and so, so what I want to do as we begin today is just really briefly uh, frame this warning passage and the other warning passages in, in a way that help us think about them as we get into the, the content of things today. So we'll just uh, we'll call it a prologue if you like, uh, but we'll just speak real briefly about, about these warning passages and how we can be thinking about them. Um, we actually preached a long sermon I'm sure it was long because they tend to be. We preached a long sermon a while back. I think it was in November, uh, outlining more specifically how we can understand these passages. But it's been a while, so we'll just have this very brief refresher. And, and what I want to do is, I want to think about these warning passages w- with three words today. One is reminder, two is productive, and three is clarifying. Those are the three words that can help us think about a passage like this. And again, uh, this will just be quick. Um, but, but we understand, first of all, that these warnings come to us in Hebrews by way of a reminder, which, which actually strike us as a bit strange when we first start reading the letter because. Uh, we, we have these warnings which are weighty, they're kind of heavy, they, they, they cause us to do some serious um, introspection in terms of our own place in relationship to Christ, and they don't just happen once, but they happen multiple times in the letter. Uh, So so we have one in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 10, really two of them in chapter 12. We have these warnings occur regularly, and at first it might strike us as strange, almost patronizing that the preacher would bring these things up time and time and time again, because really, even as we'll see today, the content, the main thing he's getting after, is not different than the main thing he's been getting after all through this book. Namely, you can't go back from Jesus, like this first audience was tempted to do, We can't go back from trusting in Jesus, because to go back from trusting in Jesus is dangerous. And he's saying that again in this passage today. But even as we come to this uh, with this reminder idea in our mind, we can be helped to understand the critical nature of these warnings, even from God's own divine perspective, as He gives us these multiple warnings throughout the book of Hebrews. And, and we can see how vitally important this is because uh, as we know, whether, uh, whether we're parents or whether in, we're positions in, in our jobs where we're having to, to give instruction or whether we're the recipients of instruction, oftentimes reminders serve us even more profitably than the initial instruction did. In fact, it's, it's C.S. Lewis who says about teaching, uh, we actually need to be reminded more often than we need to be instructed. Because we hear things, but it's one thing to hear them and put them into practice immediately. It's another thing to need the regular kinds of, of uh, reorientation that come uh, with those, with those uh, periods of reminders that, that, that we do need. And the preacher knows that. He knows that if we're really going to understand these things, if his original audience is really going to understand the significance of what it means to continue to persevere in following Christ, this isn't something he can just talk about one time. The same thing with the breakfast dishes in the morning at your house. It goes like this, doesn't it? We say, take the bowl and put it in the sink. How many times do you say, take the bowl and put it in the sink? How many times does Julia have to remind me to put my cereal bowl in the sink when I'm done eating my breakfast? 27,000. We need these reminders in all facets of life. Whether we're parenting or at work, the boss sends us an email. We know this is part of human nature, and the preacher knows it. So he brings us these reminders, and as we come across this subject again, which in a lot of senses will seem a bit repetitive, Because of what we've covered already in Hebrews, we can see there's actually good purpose and divine prerogative in terms of addressing this again, knowing that we need this if it's going to really become internalized in our own hearts. These reminders are critical for us. So when we come to warning after warning after warning, part of what helps us understand uh, their existence in the book of Hebrews is that of us needing reminders, And and not only do we need reminders, but we also can understand that the reminders are there in order that these warnings would be productive. And that's the second thing we can remember about warnings. These these, uh, warnings come to us in a way that's productive for us in the Christian life. Uh, We understand that as uh, warning passages can be read, oftentimes they can strike us in a way that actually causes us to react with a level of insecurity. So so we read these passages, you know, don't fall away from Jesus. If you go away from Christ, there's no hope of forgiveness. And and we can actually find our initial reaction to these warnings being one of insecurity. Uh, The preacher can speak about going away from Christ and and being removed from all hope if we do that. And and we can hear that and, and and become concerned that maybe we're people, who will fall into the abyss of unbelief like the preacher is referencing here. And that can be concerning for us. We we can grow worried thinking that these warnings are here because I, uh, though though I love Jesus and I want to trust Him, I, I still am concerned that I might be in a place of insecurity and angst with regard to my salvation. But but that's not where the preacher of Hebrews means for his audience to be left. These warnings ultimately for the believer don't serve a primary purpose of causing us to be insecure. And in fact, the the preacher himself, multiple times in Hebrews, speaks about how he's assured of this congregation's salvation. He's sure they're genuinely believers. He's sure they're going to persevere. Uh, He he doesn't say these things in order to cause them to be in a state of, of great anxiety about their salvation. But instead, he provides these warnings in order to help compel their ongoing perseverance. In that way, these warnings are productive. They produce a perseverance in us as we recognize that to not continue to go in the way of Christ is to actually be in a place of great danger. If we can use another parenting analogy, it's like when you have your three-year-old and you're speaking to your three-year-old regularly about not running in the street and getting hit by the car. Why don't they run out in the street and get hit by the car? Because the warnings have come and the warnings have come, and those warnings are used there in order to keep them safe. So to some level, that's how these warnings are functioning in the book of Hebrews. They're productive in us in that they're helping to compel us forward in the way of Christ as we see that to not be persevering in the way of Christ is what? Well, it's dangerous. It's like running out in the road in front of a car. We don't want to do that spiritually speaking. And so there's this productive value that's represented as we we consider these things. They they keep us going. And not only are the warnings uh, good reminders and productive in terms of their their result, but we can also be reminded that they are clarifying. And when I say these warnings are clarifying, what I mean is uh, these warnings do genuinely describe a group of people who interact around the gospel. Uh, these warnings are not addressed uh, just, just to some, um, some kind of pretend individual who couldn't really lose their salvation, but, but we're talking about it just to keep you from losing your salvation, these kinds of things. The warnings address real situations. And those real situations are illustrated in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 6, uh, by bringing, bringing out the example of, of Israel in the desert, if you remember, and how Israel uh, was unfaithful to God in the desert. They didn't obey His directives. They stopped trusting in the living God. And, and what was the result of that? Well, they didn't enter the promised land, even though they'd experienced the kindness of God in the exodus. They Experienced the the the, uh, the the plagues that helped to set them free, all the provision of manna, all of these things. They'd experienced something of the kindness of God, and yet they failed to enter into His rest. Which is akin to what Jesus speaks about in the parable of the sower and the seed. It's possible to 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 hear the word about about Jesus, hear the gospel, and be and be even happy and excited about it, and experience some level of, of sweetness that comes along with that. Maybe it's the the fellow of God's people for a while, or the, or the cathartic relief of a prayer life, or, or, or singing songs that help to bolster our spirit, we can experience these pieces, but then at the end of the day find somebody, uh, not be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, because as Jesus says in that parable, there's these things uh, that come in from the world, or the devil himself, that come and provide distraction and pull, pull folks away uh, from that persevering faith. So so that just helps us understand that this is a genuine category that we're addressing here. It's possible for some folks to taste a little bit of something about what it means to follow Jesus, but ultimately not be genuine believers. Uh, Because we know, like Hebrews 3.14 makes clear, those who truly belong to Jesus, what defines them? Well, they hold firm to the end. That's what believers do. But these warnings come and they help bring clarification because we've had those experiences where some seem to be so excited about Christ and a little time goes on and all of a sudden they're not, they're not thinking about Jesus at all. In fact, maybe they're quite angry about about the thought of the gospel and these things and we wonder what happened. Well, these warnings help give us a category for that. There are some who come, they think it's, they think it's exciting at first and then they end up wandering off. Uh, so, so I say all that just to help set a context for the things that we're studying today. Now, we come to a final warning section. It helps to to have things in our minds that are are, are clearly defining, uh, understanding that these warnings come and they're reminders that we need. We need to be reminded that following Jesus is the only safe way. We'll be reminded of that today. These warnings come and they're productive in our lives. They help compel us forward in the way of Christ as we see this truth. And then at the same time, they do provide clarification. Uh, We're helped to see uh, maybe what's going on in lives of others. We're helped uh, to understand some of those kinds of experiences. And so having said all that, uh, let's think a little bit about the specific warning that's here for us in verses 25 to 27. Um, and, and even incidentally, I should say this. If this is the subject that you want to talk more about, Josh, Jason, and I, we, 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 we would love to talk to you more about that. If you find yourself in a spot uh, where there's some uh, angst about salvation, what does it really mean to know Jesus? Am I saved? Am I not? How do these apply to me? What should I do with these? Uh, we're all any, any one of us are, are happy to speak to you more about that. And, and quite frankly, the person sitting next to you would probably be glad to do that as well. We need uh, to be able to understand these well so that we can go through life confident in Christ, not having anxiety Uh, produced in our spiritual life so so there's that for you Uh, but let's think about the passage today verses 25 to 27 and uh, with all that in our minds which was probably more than we needed to do but makes me feel better to say it all out loud again with all that in our minds uh, we're going to set the context like this for our passage Um, we know that our responses to what people say vary greatly based on the nature of what people are saying Uh, So, for example, if someone has a harsh criticism, it's very easy for us to react with anger in return. If you doubt that, you can open up Twitter, and in 27 seconds, you'll have plenty of examples of that kind of thing going on. Words of criticism often incite angry responses. That's just the way it goes. On the other hand, if somebody offers us a really kind word or an encouraging word, our response is usually a grateful one, isn't it? Maybe even a little bit of embarrassment, but but we're grateful for those kind words. We like it when people say nice things to us or nice things about us. So uh, when kind words are spoken, our response is usually one of gratefulness. Um, Harsh criticisms bring anger. Kind words bring gratefulness. Then there are also hard words. And, and, And we have a specific reaction to hard words as well, don't we? Uh, maybe it's it's the hard word of a supervisor at work commenting on ways our performance could genuinely improve. Those are not fun conversations. Or, or maybe it's the it's the hard word of our spouse or a close friend who's calling us out on behavior that's unwise that they're noticing. Or maybe it's the hard words of our parents when we're younger and they and they tell us what we're pursuing won't end well. We need to stop doing those kinds of things. Hard work tend to cause a reaction as well. And that reaction, more often than not, at least at first, that reaction is rejection. Isn't that how it goes? The boss tells you something negative about your performance that needs to improve. You're driving home from that hard day at work. And what's the first thing you say to your to your spouse or your friend when you call them on the phone? They have this big criticism and it's just not right. He's just saying things about me that aren't true. Isn't that how we can react so quickly? We can reject that word, uh, that, that hard word that comes to us. We want to explain it away. And the preacher uh, here in Hebrews, he, he's, he's a good pastor in, in that he understands the human condition. We see this in so many ways throughout the letter. But he knows that the content of this letter reflects a hard word for his audience. Throughout, throughout Hebrews, the, the preacher has quoted passage after passage from the Old Testament showing these believers not only that they're being lazy in their understanding of the salvation offered in the gospel, uh, but, but actually they're not understanding what God has been saying to them. They've, they've failed to apply Scripture properly and effectively and diligently in their lives. If, if this were a, a review in the super supervisor's office, they, they wouldn't get the raise. Their, their score would be low. They're missing big truths. So so the preacher, what has he done? But he's expounded the Old Testament scriptures for them in a way that reflect hard words. They reflect big words of correction. He's saying, here's what the scriptures have said, and you haven't understood it properly. Let me help you understand it properly. And the preacher knows that it's very easy for our reaction to those kind of harder words of correction to be one of, of, of rejection. We can tend to do that. And so the preacher in this final warning, he's making sure this congregation, and now us as we're studying this letter, he's helping us be mindful of the fact that rather than rejecting the hard words, which we, which we do need to hear as we follow Jesus at times, rather than rejecting the hard words, it's absolutely central to our progress as followers of Jesus that we take these hard words to heart. We must not reject the one who speaks. And it's, it's actually that exhortation, do not reject the one who speaks. See to it that you don't reject the one who speaks, which is the very first thing we read in verse 25, if you look at the verse. Uh, so we can call this this first section here the main directive of the warning. This is the main thing that the preacher is trying to communicate uh, to, to his audience. He says there, first part of verse 25, see to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. So let's let's work this out a little bit. Um, We could translate that statement uh, there very literally and just say, You all look out that you don't reject the one who speaks. He's talking to the whole congregation and he's telling them to watch things carefully. It's a corporate exhortation. Again, we've seen this throughout Hebrews. We're not in this Christian life alone, but we have this responsibility to one another. You all look out, is what he's saying. Um, he's, he's calling attention uh, of the congregation to be centered on something and, and is to be centered on this speaker that he references here. So, so look out, pay attention that you don't reject this one who's speaking. And from Hebrews, uh, we know who the speaker is that the preacher's re- referring to. He's not just talking about himself like, class, listen up, the teacher's talking and you're not doing a very good job. That's not what he's referring to. But instead from Hebrews we know uh, that it is the, the word of God himself that the preacher has continually been referencing and explaining all through the book. The one we're supposed to be paying attention to is God Himself from the book of Deuteronomy and Psalms and Jeremiah and others. The preacher has quoted from the Word of God in the Old Testament Scriptures and then explained to this congregation what God is saying through those Scriptures to help them understand what it means to to know the climactic work of Jesus. In fact, if we had time which would be a whole other thing, and I, I resisted putting it all in here. But it's very interesting as we think about God being three in one, the triune God, God in Trinity, three persons, one God. That's very reflected in the way the speech of God comes through in Hebrews. The Spirit of God speaks. Jesus' blood cries out. The Father speaks to us as sons. There's very much an emphasis on the fact that this is the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who's speaking to us through the Word. So so, so God's been speaking, and and, and through the Scriptures, the preacher is saying, we must not reject this word, this word. So so on the one hand, this just reminds us that that it is through uh, the historical Scriptures that God is presently speaking to His people. So so, so the preacher's referenced all these Old Testament passages, he's going to reference Haggai again uh, later in our section today, which was written nearly 600 years before the preacher of Hebrews ever put this together, Uh, but the preacher has referenced all these Old Testament scriptures and he's understood them not just to be historical speech of God, but he's recognized that they are current speech of God to His people as they understand it properly through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So it's just a reminder to us that as we come under the Word of God, as we come under the Scriptures, we're not just reading an old dusty book uh, that has some poetry and some narrative and, and then, and then some, some letters and things like this that uh, might help us out in our spiritual journey. But actually, as we come to the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, just as the preacher presumes here, we're coming to the active, present, living Word of God. So much so that, that a little later on in our passage, it's interesting to note how, how, how the preacher references things. When he, when he quotes Haggai there down in verse 26, he doesn't say, you know, God said a long time ago, yet once more and so on. But instead he says, now God has promised. Now. No, he, he, he promised that through the prophet Haggai 600 years earlier. But the preacher can reference it in present form because he recognizes that the Word of God is active currently. Even this morning as we're studying the Scriptures, it is the Word of God uh, that, is, that is coming to us. Which makes it all the more relevant in terms of how we must respond. We need to understand the Scriptures. We need to be able to apply them well. And we must respond to them. And how do we respond to the Scriptures when they come to us, even with hard words? Well... We don't reject the one who speaks. That's his point. God is speaking to us, and we can't go in an opposite direction of the word that he's given to us, which we understand would be extremely important for this first audience of Hebrews to grasp, and not just them, but, but us as well. The first audience, they didn't just need to have this reminder because hard words come and sometimes it's easy to reject hard words. They needed this reminder because they were living in what was an array of voices, a cacophony of voices around them. So much so that in chapter 10, we actually read there, the preacher says, I know you were publicly exposed to taunts. So you think about all the voices in the lives of these Christian believers. These voices were not all positive voices saying, follow Jesus, stay faithful, follow Jesus, stay faithful. There were voices that these first recipients were dealing with that were calling them away from Christ. That we're mocking them for following Christ. That we're saying uh, to follow the Lord. Jesus is just the silliest thing in the world. You need to think about religion entirely differently. How in the world could you ever follow uh, this character from Nazareth? That's totally pointless. You need to do something differently. There are those who are speaking. And what the preacher is saying to them. We need to be able to, uh, we need to be careful about which voices we embrace. And which voices we reject. Because what's the easy voice to embrace? What's the easy voice to embrace when the mockery is there for our following of Jesus? What's the easy voice to embrace? That one. Okay, so if I if I quit talking about Jesus, if I quit worrying about this whole obedience business, and if I just kind of go in this way that, that, that would make you much more happy, that does seem a, like a whole lot more comfort for me. That seems like a voice I would really like to embrace. It just seems reasonable. As the way things are going all around me. It just seems so much easier. But the preacher's coming in and he's saying, no, 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 no. That's not the voice you must must embrace. You must embrace the voice of the living God. This is the voice you don't reject. The one who speaks to us and says, the fullness of all God's salvation purposes are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must not go back from Him. This is the word that we need to hold on to. Which again is just such a, a contemporary point of application for us in our own time the pressures these christians face are the pressures we face in so many ways the mockery for following jesus and and we just have to uh, center ourselves for a moment and ask who are we listening to which voices are we embracing as we go out into the world as we're living our lives as we're engaged in the pressures and, and and ups and downs of our days whose voice are we really embracing are we embracing the one who offers eternal hope through Jesus Christ, even though in this life that can produce hardship and difficulty as we persevere? Or are we embracing all the voices around us that can tend uh, to offer relief if we would just give up on this whole Jesus-following business? It's something that we need to, we need to consider. There is a voice that must be prioritized, And that is the living voice of the living God which continues to come to us through the Scriptures by the ministry of the Holy Spirit in a contemporary and current way. We sit under the Word of God and He speaks to us and He says, there's no other way to be saved but through Jesus. Trust in Him. That's the voice that we're called to embrace. And, and, so, and so we have that there as this main directive of the warning. The preacher wants his congregation to understand that while the hard words come and hard words can cause us to, to recoil a bit and step back, above all of that there is this one voice which must be attended to in our lives, and it's the voice of God Himself speaking to us about the supremacy of the Son. And, and so we can check ourselves, have, have I been giving priority and supreme weight to this Word? to god's word or have there been other uh, voices that have come through and started to draw me away that's the kind of reflection a passage like this is calling us uh, to make well what is the main the main thing in terms of the authoritative voice in my life and so, and so there's this this uh, directive that's here for us with regard to the warning and, and then The preacher doesn't just leave us with that with that uh, exhortation, then full stop, but he actually moves on to give us two reasons for this warning. One is is in the in the realm of consequence, and one is in the realm of extraordinary promise. So so he's going to give us two reasons for not rejecting this word of God that's coming to us as as we go through the rest of verse twenty five through verse twenty seven. And so so let's look, first of all, at the rest of verse 25, uh, where he speaks about uh, this consequence. There's a reason we don't want to reject the living word of God here. And and he works that out for us. The, The first one, again, is a big one. If you look at what the text says, he says, If they did not escape when they rejected Him who warned them on earth, even less will we if we turn away from Him who warns us from heaven. So, uh, it, was, it was good to have Kristen read the whole passage for us this morning just to reorient us with, with what he's referencing here. Uh, but, but this is a reference back to the verses we studied last time where we uh, read about that event in Exodus 19 where God came down on Mount Sinai and, and all the thunder and flaming fire and everything that attended that event. And, and we remember how the people of Israel ultimately rejected what God said in that event. So not only did they beg him not to speak with them anymore on that mountain because they were terrified, you remember that part of the story, but we know from their wilderness wanderings which followed that they rejected this covenant word of God which came through Moses on the mountain. The people didn't trust God's word and instead they complained against him, they disregarded what he said, they rejected him, and as a result, like we read here, as a result, they didn't escape the penalty of rejecting God. In fact, this is something already referenced in Hebrews. What was the outcome of their, of, their, of their rejection of the word of the living God? Well, the outcome was they didn't enter the promised land of rest. They didn't enter that final place of peace uh, that they were going to because they rejected uh, the word of God. And, and so now here in verse 25, there's actually this contrast set up where, where the preacher's saying, if they rejected him who spoke on earth and in, in that mountain event, so if they rejected Him who spoke in that Mount Sinai event and, and they didn't escape the justice of God then, how much more will we not escape if we reject God as He speaks to us from heaven? How, how much more will we not escape if we reject God given all the heavenly privileges that are ours in Christ? And and again, this motif of earthly and heavenly is something that repeats throughout the book of Hebrews and that earthly uh, often references uh, that 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 picture of future heavenly realities that are ours. So we talk about the earthly tabernacle being being a representation of the heavenly uh, residence of God. There's this contrast between the two. One is much more significant. One is full. One is climactic. One is only a mere picture of this full reality. Earthly is a picture. Heavenly is the full reality. And so he's bringing that uh, that metaphorical kind of speaking uh, to bear on them again. As he's saying, you know, to reject the old covenant way, like they did. At the mountain that brought judgment nobody escaped when they did that so how much more would we be in danger if we reject this new covenant fullness that's offered to us through jesus who's our ascended priest in heaven now how much worse would it be to reject that so so, so we see this is this is a main reason why we can't reject god as he speaks about us with regard to the exclusive supremacy of jesus we live in this unique time, the preacher is saying, on the other side of all of Christ's accomplishments. He's come. He's fulfilled what that Levitical law was pointing forward to. He is the perfect sacrifice. He's raised to heaven. Now he is our ultimate and eternal priest interceding for us. Jesus has fulfilled all that the Old Testament was pointing forward to. And living on the other side of that greater reality brings with it greater responsibility. To to reject Jesus is to reject the salvation completeness. It's to reject the the totality, the wholeness of everything God has promised. It's it's not just rejecting a, a shadow of salvation hope. It's rejecting the very substance of our salvation. And and so here, uh, again, uh, what we talked about earlier in terms of these warnings being repetitive, that this is brought to bear here on us as we recognize our own need for this repetition just according to the inspired text of Scripture. We have the same message coming to us again, just like we've had all through the book of Hebrews. And it is the fact that to reject God's word about the supremacy of Jesus To reject God's word about the sufficiency of Jesus, to to say or think that I could be okay before the living God without trusting in Jesus' complete work on the cross to pay for my sins, to reject Jesus is to reject the only way of escaping God's just judgment full stop. That this is the repeated refrain of the the book of Hebrews. And if the inspired scriptures of the living God repeat this truth, we need to be people who are repeating this truth. We must need the reminders because here it is again. God knows as, as, as creatures He's made, He knows we need this reminder time and time again. Without Jesus, there's no escaping judgment. Without Jesus, there's no escaping judgment. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The things I do that I shouldn't have done, the things I don't do that I should do, the things I've thought that I shouldn't have thought, the things I haven't thought that I should have been thinking, the pride, the covetous, anger, malice, lust, a desire to be my own master, though the God of the universe gives me the very breath by which I voice my treason against Him. We deserve condemnation, judgment will come, and there is only one way out. The only way of escape is trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus, Him paying the price of our sin on the cross, cleansing us before the living God, which is a glorious theme in the book of Hebrews. He makes us totally clean before the living God by offering Himself as our sacrifice. He makes us God's children instead of His enemies, and without Jesus, there's no escape. That's why we don't reject the one who speaks. That's why we listen to God as He speaks and says, look to Jesus. We sang the song, didn't we? Look to Jesus, look to Jesus, and lay all your burdens down. He's the one. He's the one we give attention to, the supreme revelation of God's loving redemption. Look to Jesus. And so we do that. I do that. You do that. If you don't, you need to do that. This is it. This is it. Here's a big reason why we listen to the Word of God. There's no escaping judgment without trust in the truth about Jesus, which God's Word reveals. That's why we listen. A big reason why. But as we go on here, we also see that it's not the only reason why. It's not just a very real consequence of judgment that compels us forward in our trusting in Jesus, but there's also this glorious promise attached to our trusting. Which we actually have worked out here in the rest of the passage in verse 26 and on. So, so in verse 26, if you look at that, uh, the preacher actually quotes the prophet Haggai there, uh, where, where God speaks through Haggai about this cosmic final shaking of the created order. And in fact, let me just read those verses again so we, we have them fresh in our minds. Verse 26, uh, his, that is God's voice, shook the earth at that time. So that's a reference back to the Sinai event where God spoke and there was an earthquake, all of that stuff. His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he is promised, and here's the Haggai quote, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is created things, so that what is not shaken might remain. And, and, and so to speak in this way, is uh, to give us this present hope that, that one day the whole created order, heaven and earth, This old order of all that's contrary to God, the preacher is saying, is ultimately going to be done away with and only what is unshakable, only what is attached to the sufficiency and the perfection of what the Lord Jesus has done, only what is attached to Him will remain. That's this this new creation motif that we read about in in, in the prophet Isaiah, for example. This old way will be done. The world as we know it will one day uh, be renewed in total righteousness as God makes all things new and there's going to be this, the shaking of all things that would otherwise be contrary to the living God. It's a way to speak about, about the eternality of what is God, what God is going to accomplish in the new creation. He's speaking about the fact that so much now, well, while it may seem like this is the sturdy way, which is what we experience, isn't it? What would be sturdy for me in terms of the things I affirm or don't affirm or whatever it is? Well, this seems like the sturdy way. But those things that seem sturdy now, Ultimately, as God comes in that finality of His judgment to make all things new and righteous and pure and perfect forever, not just a mere temporal created order, but for all of eternity, What makes that so incredible is that all these things that might seem so sturdy now are actually shaken away in God's judgment purposes finally and only what is attached to righteousness and goodness and truth and all of those things that are wrapped up in the person and work of Christ, all those who belong to Jesus, whom He's purified. That's what's going to remain, which is is certainly a word of hope for our present day. Why do we go on trusting? Why do we continue to persevere in knowing Jesus? Well, it actually takes us back to what the preacher's been saying about faith all along, doesn't it? What does faith look like? What does it look like to be people who are full of faith? Well, it means living in the present based on what? Not the fact that the present is going perfectly and smoothly and everything's just like I like it and and everything's so ironed out and even hardly, hardly. What does it mean to live by faith? It means to live in the present based on what God has promised for the future. That's what he's been talking about all through that chapter on faith in Hebrews 11. And here we have a punctuation mark on that. He's saying to them again, you know this new creation is coming. God has promised it it's 600 years earlier through Haggai, and now he's saying the same word to you as you sit there in the of the hebrew listeners suffering for the gospel dealing with these kinds of things he comes to us now in our present state and he says to trust in jesus christ means that while things may not be perfect in the present there is a day coming when all that is attached to, to darkness and death and harm and contrariness to god will be shaken shown uh, to be the unstable thing it is it will go away for all eternity and only what is stable through the lord jesus christ uh, only that will remain and so he's giving us this extraordinary hope. Why am I not going to reject the word of the living God? Am I not going to reject the word of the living God uh, because it, it's, it's so easy to keep going in this way right now? No. No, it's actually easier to go in another direction right now. Paul says if this world's all we have, we should be pitied as Christian believers. That this can't be it. This isn't good enough to be it. This is turmoil. This is struggle. This is pain, darkness. We know those things in our own lives. But what we have when we're following Jesus is this attentiveness to God's word who promises something beyond the immediacy of the now that extends into the reality of all eternity, perfect peace, perfect wholeness, perfect righteousness. As, as Hebrews refers to it, this is the city of God. Right, This is the heavenly reality that we look forward to. And it's there for all those who don't reject the word of God about the sufficiency of Jesus, but who embrace it and continue to persevere. And so we see how he's bringing all this warning material together in this, in this kind of final climactic statement. Don't reject the word of the living God. I know it's tempting to do so and all the voices around you, but don't reject the word of the living God. Of course, to reject Him is, is to find no way escape, uh, of escape from the judgment of God. So there's that. There's a consequence to rejecting him. But there's also this wonderful promise that in following Jesus, we have this future wholeness, this grand uh, reality that's been promised uh, down through the generations of God's final and climactic plan through the Lord Jesus Christ where he's going to make all things new. And ultimately, uh, depending on the day, we need both of those truths. We need the fact there's consequences for rejecting Jesus and we need the fact there's promises. Some days I'm a consequence Christian. I realize that it would be really stupid, Jared, if you went down that path. And I need to be warned, like Hebrews warns me. And some days I'm a promises Christian. I look around the darkness, the, the, the struggle of, of individuals, the struggles of my own heart, all of these things. And I need the promise of newness. And what the preacher is doing is he's giving us two extremely useful gospel tools to apply to our own hearts as we're persevering in these ways. We have consequence days and we have promise days. And sometimes, like he knows is the case in the hearers of this letter, we need to appropriate those uh, much, much more significantly and even drastically in our lives. I recognize there's consequences for going this way. I'm not going to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to leave off following Jesus. That would, be, that would be the dumbest decision I could make. And I need that smack on the back of the head. And then there's other days where I just need to be comforted by this truth. All things will be made new. God is making all things new and in Christ I have an absolute assurance of that. Not because I'm a stable one, but because through the reality of what Jesus has accomplished, that eternal stability has been purchased. And that's what we hope in. And so these warnings come to us, and they come to us in a way that's effective. They come to us in a way that's practical. And as we apply them to our lives, we find that they're very useful in compelling our own faithfulness, not only personally, but corporately as a church. You all look out, he says, which means there may be days where you need to go next to somebody and say, this looks a little bit like a consequence day for you. You need to remember, you can't leave off following Christ, or we may need to come alongside each other and say, this this looks like more like a promise day for you. You need to remember what's there for you in Christ, and the darkness that seems to be overwhelming you is not the final word in your life, and you press on because all this good is guaranteed by Christ himself. And so we apply these things fruitfully in those kinds of ways. Thankful to God for his word that he speaks to us currently uh, through the historical truth of the Bible. Let's pray. So, Father, we ask that we would be uh, helped by this in terms of our own perseverance. We want to be those who follow Jesus. We recognize our weakness. Oh, Lord, we recognize our weakness, but we also see that Jesus is the one with superior, eternal, uh, all perfect strength, and we rely upon him. Uh, we ask that his Uh, strength would be our help as we continue to persevere, that we would be useful to one another as we continue to persevere. And we're thankful for these warnings which come to us and compel us in the way of life. Uh, We bring these things to you through Jesus. Amen.